you know, from, I think that's such a good point in this perspective of, for me, what I really learned was I was very alone with my body because I had the cancer cells growing. And for me, it was a very alone sort of feeling. I have amazing surgeons. I have amazing, my husband, everybody, such a great support system at the time of my friends, clients, companies, all of that. But there's still a piece of feeling alone because it's your body. When you, right before you go into surgery, it's a very alone feeling because it's, it's you, you and your cells. And I think now, even more so, I really understand from a business perspective when, for some leaders, when you feel alone, you have to make that decision and only you can make that decision. And there, there is that feeling of it's you and you have to make it. That's Ann Sugar. And I'm Brian Falchuk. The Do-A-Day Podcast. Will you hear from the most inspiring people who have been through hard times, overcome them, and have turned around to help others with what they've learned? I'm your host, Brian Falchuk. I know because I've lived it myself. I've written about it in my book, Do-A-Day, and that's why I'm bringing you this show. Remember, today's a new day. Go out and do it. Hey, day-doers. Welcome to another episode of the Do-A-Day Podcast. I have another amazing guest today. Her name is Ann Sugar. She's someone who really aims to inspire others to get through some tough situations because she's been there herself. And um, well, I'll, I'll let her tell more of her story, but as a little bit of background, she's an executive coach and a speaker who's advised top leaders in major companies like TripAdvisor, Genzyme, Havas. Um, she's been an executive coach for Harvard Business School in their executive ed program, and she's been a guest lecturer at MIT. Before becoming an executive coach more than a decade ago, Anne was a senior leader in the advertising industry, where she oversaw a team of 75 employees. She's at a firm called Digitas, and she managed media planning for Fortune 500 clients like General Motors, Federal Express, Delta. And she draws on her extensive management experience, as well as her in depth training in coaching to advise senior executives and high performers as they transition through various leadership roles. Now that's like the professional side of her and she's really good at what she does on that side, but there's a whole other side that in the midst of being this amazing, accomplished executive coach and leader of leaders, she went through a pretty serious battle herself. So Anne has someone who has faced and overcome cancer and she reminds us that you may beat it, but it's still there with you. And there's a lot of lessons to take from it. And that gives her a really unique perspective in the leadership work that she does. And that's a key reason why I wanted to have her on the show today. So with that, let's bring Anne on and find out more about this amazing lesson that she learned through something that's incredibly scary and see what we can do to help inspire ourselves to be better. Hey, welcome to the show. Anne Sugar, thank you so much for being on tonight. Oh, thank you, Brian. I'm really excited to be here. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I was, I was saying to you before we started to record, it's so funny that we're sort of like swirling around each other in the same circles. And when I started to reach out to my network to say, you know, who do you think would fit what the show is all about? The number of people who, like, you're probably the most common name that people offered up to me. Um, so that's a very interesting, like, a, a I love statistics, um, and there's definitely like a there, there's a there's a high correlation coefficient with Ann Sugar and this show. Mm -hmm. So I'm very excited to have you on. Wow, I'm surprised, <laughs> but thank you. Yeah, thank you. And the the reason is, you know, you've got this. Your work is really amazing, and you're you're sort of you know focused on creating incredible leaders out of good leaders, and and you know how do you create a company where the leadership really invests in their people and understands how to manage them and get the most out of them. But it's not as simple as that because you have this story of challenge and overcoming that, um, that is, is really powerful for me. And, and it's shocking to the people who didn't necessarily know what you were going through to realize what you went through when you were going through it. And yet what you were still doing, despite all that, you really didn't let it stop you or at least didn't let it show 
Um, and that's what I would love to get out of you tonight is not just the story, but what was the inspiration? What was the thing that you think gave you the power to get through it, to not just make it to the other side, but make it to the, to the other side and thrive and not just for yourself, but for those people with whom you're working and inspiring and growing. So it, it's a really inspirational story for me. And I'd love to pull that out and see what are the, the nuggets of wisdom that people could take away for their own moments of struggle. Oh, absolutely. And you're way too kind. I think the thing that I also want to stress is that for me, while um, it was very important for me to push ahead, and I look at people that I coach, how can we all push ahead and just do better and help each other? But, you know, there there are a lot of struggles um, that go with, um, that we all have, right, that maybe we don't share all of them, but I, I'm happy to do that uh, and, and talk about some of those struggles that maybe we all have that we just don't say yeah. to everybody. That's such know? a good point. There are a lot of people with a sort of silent or invisible struggle and, and we pass them every day on the street. We work yes. with them, we're related to them, but we don't know. And maybe some of us pass judgment on those people without appreciating, you know, maybe their situation is not quite what we think it is. And maybe there's room for more compassion in this world to understand literally everybody is struggling with something. Absolutely. There's, there's always something, you know, um, that sometimes, you know, we walk down the street and we see that person laughing on the phone and we think, oh, God, could I just like laugh today? And I, I'm not trying to be negative, but, it, you know, there, there's those times that we think that, but we don't, you're absolutely right. We don't know what's going on behind the scenes, but it also gets to the point that sometimes you got to laugh at yourself. And I, I, and I definitely needed to laugh at myself sometimes. <laughs> That's great. For sure. Yeah. Um, all right. So before we get any further, tell us what, what is it you do and how did you get there in the first place? Cause it's pretty, it's pretty awesome work. I'm, I've always been jealous of people who do what you do and I'm trying to do that myself, but what got you, like, mm -hmm. what's the backstory that created and sugar, the you know the the leadership expert and coach. So for me, I worked in advertising for about twenty years, and I worked in New York. I worked in Boston, in large ad agencies. I worked on big clients, like the launch of the Apple computer back in the eighties, the launch of the corporate wow. card. So I really, I loved advertising. I love advertising. I loved working in teams with people. The creativity piece of it was all wonderful to me. And, and I grew to run a large department um, of 75 individuals. And at a certain point, I just found myself not that happy anymore. I wasn't doing what I wanted to be doing anymore. It was kind of a drag on me. I was working over 60 hours a week. Um, and I was just kind of an angry person, right? Because I, I, liked, I liked the balance in life, uh, yeah. being able to go on that ski trip and I was the person that was always holding everybody up um, with the rides going skiing. I can just remember that vividly. And so I, um, for various reasons, and I won't get into all of that, I took a step back and I saw an executive coach. And the thing that I found that was made me the most happy, the happiest, were the people in my department and seeing them grow and get promoted and being that mentor. And being a mentor is not the same as being an executive coach. So I tried coaching somebody on the side. Let's see what, you know, let's see what that's like. And I really, that, that made me the happiest. And More so um, than the mentoring work? Yes. And what, yes. Did, were you aware of what the difference was? Like, what was it about the, being in the coach role versus a mentor? And I agree with you, they're, they're different. There are things you can do as a coach that you sort of can't do as a mentor. Right. What, what stood out to you? Why did it spark more? It just, so for me, instead of telling somebody what to do, I, you know, I went back to school, I'm certified in all the, you know, Myers-Briggs, everything. It's, it's the point of really asking the question and being a partner with somebody that intrigued me more than, um, than just mentoring somebody. And now, of course, when I coach, if somebody says, well, tell me what you think, I will after some after I say to them, you have to tell me first. Nice. So it's not just about ask. It's not the Socratic method that 
you know, I just keep asking and asking. I, I'm really about the practical. So one thing that I want to say is, you know, I still advertising at that point was still um, pulling at me. And I had I had a six month old daughter at the time and I went out to an interview at a large agency. And I came back home that day and we lived in an apartment downtown Boston. I was so tired because I had, had many hours of an interview. I had, was up at night with my daughter and I hit the side of the garage <laughs> with oh, my man. car. And so I just kind of knew, okay, now this is the stake in the ground. I, I'm, I will be happiest being an executive coach. Advertising is, um, is done, even though I still work in advertising agencies and marketing departments. So that's really, that's really my story in and terms of how, how I became an executive coach. Can I take you back one minute to when you're talking sure. about that, that time where you felt like in the advertising world, it wasn't doing it anymore. Were you aware at the time of, of the reasons why it wasn't sparking? Like what, what was making you feel like it wasn't, it wasn't that thing any longer? So I, when I coach too, as well, I coach a lot about gut, your gut instinct. What's sitting back and kind of listening to it and something just didn't feel right anymore. I just didn't have, you know, that spark. And was it something uh, missing or something added? You know, cause a lot of people, well, as you get more senior, you get taken away from the, the work that maybe you love so much. I'm, I'm always curious, is it new things that were put on or is it things that you no longer had? That's a brilliant question. Great question. I, I think it was a combination for me. I, I started to feel that I wasn't doing the creative work anymore. I was managing the P&L. That was what I did. Yeah. I was managing the, cl the client P&L and not really getting into the nitty gritty of the media plan and the advertising. Yeah. And I think too, as in any, any industry, things ebb and flow. And what I worked on back in the eighties was so different and unusual and almost a unicorn, right? That, that it's hard to replicate those times and that creativity. And I, and it just, it's, it's hard now in some instances we're, we're all about the bottom line a lot of times. Yeah, and you certainly, so, in that new capacity, that's kind of all you were about. None of the creativity piece anymore. No, no. And at that time, and I tell everybody this, I wish I had an executive coach to manage through in the senior leadership um, set and how to couch and how to communicate better what I needed from a, from a people perspective, from latitude with a margin here and this client, things like that. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it was both additive and things were taken away that I'd, I'd had previously, I think in terms of what, and I want to kind of put a stake in the ground, what the values that are important to me, what I need in a culture, in a business, the people that I work with can be very different for other people. So, but at that time, those were the values and kind of the stake in the ground that was important to me that was missing. Okay. Well, I took you off course to ask you that, but no. thank you. I, I sure. appreciated it. Um, all right. So that's the background. That's what got you into this place of being an executive coach and yeah. getting in touch with some passion in your work again, since you had, you know, you'd moved beyond the point of passion in the advertising space when doing, you know, doing the direct work. Um, but that's not, that's not what brought you here today to this show. So what is, what transpired, what got in the way, where were you at when it happened and what happened as a result? So, um, first out, you know, I, I think what, and you'll see this weaving through the story that I talk about, the most important thing to me is about, and I know it sounds kind of trite, but it's just really about helping people. So, you know, I couch that as I talk about my story. So. Six years ago, I was training for a sprint triathlon. It was around May, Mother's Day time. And um, I just went in for my regular mammogram. And they said to me, ah, 
you don't really like it. You need to come back for another another round of tests. And I thought, oh, okay, that's fine. You know, this has happened to me in the past. No big deal. Yeah. And uh, I went by myself. It's, it's a no big deal situation. Um, because I, at that time, was in the best shape I had been in. I really trusted my body. I was training for the sprint triathlon. I love to work out. I was eating really well. And they said to me, you need to have a biopsy. We think you have cancer and we think you have breast cancer in both, which is unusual. That's less than 20%. And I said to them, oh, no, 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 that's not me. I think you might have the wrong. And I really just say this. I think you have the wrong results. That's not me. Wow. And they said, no, it is, you need to, you need to go have biopsies. And so I did. And, um, you know, it, it, it was one of those times where, um, you go in and you see everybody and it was hard. It was one of those really hard times. Cause there's a lot of, my husband went with me and there are people crying. There are um, people looking very scared. And I thought, okay, this is going to be fine. Less than 20% of everybody um, has cancer when they go in for this biopsy. Yeah, the odds are in your favor. You're not the being. The odds are way in my favor. Yeah, you're, you're not, you're not, um, oh, I, why can't I think of the word that's, you're not in denial. It's such a tough word to come up with. Um, right. It's not that you're in denial, you're just looking at the math. I was purely looking yeah. at the math, though I was pretty frightened. Um, and, you know, uh, the one thing I can say is I'm good at reading people and the nurses and the, they weren't, they weren't really super reassuring to me. They're like, Oh, well, we'll see. And I, you know, we'll see what comes back. And, um, it, you know, I think the thing that, um, I didn't recognize or realize a lot of this takes a long time. Um, I had to wait two weeks, um, for my results to come back. And I got that call that day that I had breast cancer and I had breast cancer in both, which wow. I said before is very unusual. Um, so for me, um, you know, to kind of keep this short, the driving factor for me was, um, so first of all, I'm a worry ward. <laughs> I worry. And I had a first grader. Um, I was 46 years old and I had a first grader and there was no way I wanted this all done and gone. I didn't want, um, I didn't want to have to worry about this in the future. That was just my personality. Did you, um, can I ask, ask you, did yeah? you, I don't know if you contemplated it at all before that positive result, but did you have that same sense of it? Cause I've, I've had, um, someone very close to me in my life that had a, you know, had a, a positive breast cancer result. Mm -hmm. And, um, after having some scares that they were able to treat with radiation, when mm -hmm. they got the full on, no, you have breast cancer. Um, it went for the, the feeling going in was, oh my God, I, I hope they can just do a lumpectomy and that, you know, uh, and, and as soon as I got the full diagnosis, it was get this off. Like I, I you know, take all the risk away. Yes. For me, I wanted it all gone. Get rid of it all. So I, um, I don't have to worry about any more cancer cells. Um, I, I, my, I didn't trust my body at that point. Right. So mm. I wanted it gone. I did, did the odds were I had two, I had two, um, diagnosis. I could have the lumpectomy and the radiation, or I could have a double mastectomy. And because I had it in both, I said, well, there's not even a question for me. So I had a bilateral mastectomy and reconstruction. And that was um, over 12 hours of surgery, three surgeries wow. um, to take care of that. And, you know, for me, in that positive attitude, I thought, well, um, so part of that too was I had to wait six weeks to get on the operating table. That's how many people have cancer now. It's, um, and I was one of the, um, ones that my case had to go to the kind of the end of the line. So I think it really relates to, and I wish I had read your book, Brian, um, do a day, 
what was I going to do in those six weeks? Yeah, you got to get through an incredibly anxiety-filled. Right. I mean, because it's the, your point about not trusting your body is really standing out to me because it's like, um, you know, I, I, I share my wife's health journey in, in my book. And when people ask what it's like, I was like, have you ever had a really unreliable car? Every time you get in it, you don't know if you're going to get where you're going. You wonder what that sound is. Now mm-hmm. imagine the car is your body. And they kind of get it, but it's such a light and frivolous way of putting it. When your body is, you know, it's all you have. You can't get away from it. You need to trust it completely because without it, you're nothing. But when your body is working against you and it's, I mean, cancer cells are your own cells. Right. There's something um, that really gets to your, your, like your most basic level of trust. This isn't about anyone else hurting you. This is you yourself, one and the same. Right. That must just be incredibly hard to sit with on a daily basis while the clock is ticking, you're waiting for the surgery. Yes. And that was the longest six weeks. Um, And, you know, sometimes still, even six years later, I mean, I do trust my body much more, but you still have, I still have that small fear in the back of my mind that says, oh, what's my body doing this year? Right. Um, is it just around the appointments or is this sort of, is this something you're aware of more broadly? Um, so it, it, it was much more, um, acute right afterwards. So I'll tell you a quick story how acute it was for me. I would, I, after I, um, had all my surgeries, I went back and I'm, I was, um, working out with a trainer, a personal trainer to get myself back strong. That's the most important thing to me is being strong. And I kept having this hamstring pull. And I said to him one day, oh, my God, I think and I'm being serious when I say this. I think I might have hamstring cancer. I'm going to need to go home and look it up. I, I really think I do. And he said to me, you're smarter than that. You don't have hamstring cancer. But that's kind of where your mind goes to, or at least mine did in the beginning. Yeah, that every pain must be cancer. Must be cancer. And it's, I mean, it's not an outlandish idea. I mean, there's so many pains all of your life that aren't cancer, and we forget about all those things in these moments. Mm-hmm. But the fact that your mind went there, just from a, a compassion standpoint, it's completely understandable. It may be, you know, it, it may be absurd. It may be whatever anyone wants to call it. And it's completely understandable at the same time. Oh, well, thanks. <laughs> I think, you know, I look back and it's kind of a, um, a humorous kind of now I look at it as a bit with a bit more humor than I did at that point. So what did I do from do a day that, you know, I had to find something in those six weeks to do. So what I decided to do was I ended up going to, um, I did some Eastern medicine work and, you know, I was, I combined the Eastern and the Western piece with my cancer, um, recovery. So I went to the Herbert Benson Institute at Mass General and I really learned how to meditate. And I, so I was, I was going to meditate cancer cells away every day. And there's lots of theories about meditation and your health and, um, eradicating cancer cells, whether, you know, there's no definitive answers, but that was what I was going to do. And then I also picked Reiki. So I went and did, I didn't want to do acupuncture at the time because I had so many needles. I just didn't want to. Yeah, just one more needle. Just one more needle was not going to. So that's what I did for six weeks. Every day I meditated twice for two half an hour sessions. And um, I worked out every single day with a trainer, just like I was training for a triathlon and that I was training for my surgery. And I also did Reiki. And so that was kind of my quasi do a day for me just every day that was what i was going to do to help myself so um i want to ask you all these questions about benson sure. henry because i well i'm not going to because we my wife's been there we know the the space and and the people there so i was like oh who'd you work with but we'll save that for another time okay. <laughs> but i love um i love that you just say you were working out for your surgery because actually the idea that like you're going in for this thing and for some people it's a sense of inevitability, you know, whatever surgery you've got to go have. 
you can still get yourself in a better place for that surgery and you will recover faster. You know, the recovery may be really difficult, but if your body's Mm -hmm. not as fit and strong as it could be, the recovery is tougher and your the atrophy during the recovery for your muscles is starting from a lower starting place than if you had, you know, put your health and your wellness first. Right. Yeah. I, you know, that's, that's what I thought. Right. Um, but for me, and, um, I speak about it in the article I wrote, it took me about, took me 12 weeks, took me an extra month to recover after the first surgery versus the typical eight weeks. I don't know. I don't know why, but, um, uh, the typical is an average. So you're right. I've I've been there myself where they give you some number and it's like, wow, I'm another month beyond that. And I've had other surgeries where I'm like a third of it. It's just, however it plays out, you know, whatever state your tissue was in that day and your, the way your surgeon was feeling or, you know, there's, there's all kinds of variables, but they never had a specific reason to point to. No, no, it was just more, no, I had a lot of muscle. So, you know, that, that's a lot of, um, a lot of recovery from that point. And I used to just bemoan to my cancer surgeon because at the time Angelina Jolie was doing the same thing and she oh, was yeah. up at a, she was up at a, an award ceremony. And I was like, how can she be, she's, she's doing so much better than me. I, I, I can't take it. And my surgeon said to me, really, you believe what people magazine has to say? I mean, you don't yeah. know what's going on. Right. As you said before, we all have different recovery schedules. Um, and it's just, it just is, it just is. And I think the hard part for me is I have, I have my own business. I'm an entrepreneur and that took an effect and a toll for me on my business. Um, yeah, you're not earning in that period. Yeah, no, you're not. And, um, and even after those 12 weeks, I need, I had to create almost my plan B and have a schedule of how I was going to work with specific clients and what I was going to do. So, you know, for example, when I was first um, getting back full time for me, presenting all day was not going to be an option for me in the beginning because that was just too much physical and mental energy for me. Um, you know, I, I'd have a couple of clients that I would coach and I'd have to go home and take a nap and I'm not a napper. Yeah. So I, I had to create this plan B for myself and, um, you know, how I communicated that to my clients as well in, in the companies that I worked with. And did you, were you open with people about what was going on or did you, how did you deal with the, the sort of outward communication piece of it? Being an advertising person, mm-hmm. how did you deal with that? So I think what's important to recognize for everybody um, now going through what I went through is that cancer is more of an art, not a science in terms of what you do um, from a communication perspective. Some people want to um, have face-to-face conversations with everybody. Some people don't want to talk about it at all. There are people that don't want the fanfare. They want to do these things privately. Some people want to talk about it in email. I elected, I I almost did kind of a two-pronged communication approach. I emailed all of my clients and, you know, some of my friends too and and, um, emailing them about my diagnosis. And then I followed up with a conversation Uh, Mm. for me at 46 um, at the time, six years ago, I was the very first one out of all of my friends, out of everybody in my work network that had cancer. And so it was very shocking to me. Um, And I just, I needed to have, I needed to let people get over that shock first or personally, actually for myself. Um, And then have those conversations. So for me, that was my specific approach. Did you feel at the time you were doing that for you or for them? Cause you just said, you know, for yourself, what was, what was the awareness at the time? Um, 
really, frankly, honestly, Brian, it was for myself. Um, because I wanted to give people a chance to process it a bit. Um, because everybody has, um, different ways of dealing with somebody who tells them that they have cancer. Yeah. There's a lot of, you know, people might tell you, um, positive stories. Some people might tell you negative stories of their friends who've died of breast cancer. So I wanted to give people the chance to kind of process that for themselves too. And for me, honestly. Yeah. Without having to be live in the moment where they right. say whatever reactive thing. And I, I mean, I've talked to people who they were almost uh, mean about, I don't want to hear about your friend who went through it or went through this or that. I don't want to hear about someone who got through it. I don't want, you know, it's sort of like, proactively mm. attacking people about, uh, I don't, you know, I don't want your story, but it looks like that, you know, as much as some people are like, you know, what's wrong with her? Why is she being that way? Or, you know, this is because she's angry about the cancer and she's lashing out. Maybe, maybe not, but that's what she feels she needs for her experiences to not get the inundated, you know, the inundation of, of stories and, and everything. Right. And maybe she was too strong in reaching out and putting that message out there. But you know, that's the reaction she had with how she's feeling. And for most people, they just sort of understood, look, she, she's that insistent on not hearing all the stories because she recognizes that's not what she wants or needs. We just right. have to respect it. Maybe her delivery wasn't ideal, but, you know, given the situation, you got to cut them some slack. Absolutely. You know, and some people don't even want to talk about it, particularly in the workplace, right? There are people that might go off and have a surgery and don't want it or, or deal with a diagnosis and don't want to share it with their managers. Um, and I've heard stories from other people as well from that perspective. They don't yeah. want to share. So you just have to meet that person where they are. Yeah. Uh, some people don't want to hear all the stories because they just want to, they don't want the noise. They want to deal with their, um, their recovery and their diagnosis. Yeah. And, you know, with you talking about this feeling about your body and not trusting your body, that's such mm -hmm. a deeply personal thing. Um, I'm not sure how many people who haven't been through it even contemplated that. And that, that is really personal and you don't want that going on. Most people don't want that feeling to play out publicly. So it's, it, it's a, it's definitely a wake up for a lot of us to be more respectful for each person should be able to decide what their experience looks like. And unfortunately, um, we're in a very sharing oriented society. And yes. I've seen a lot of people who can't help themselves, but to talk about other people's business, including something as personal as cancer. And they might do it in a way that they think is protecting their privacy. It's like, well, have you heard about so-and-so? And, and the illness, it's like, what are you talking, oh, you haven't heard, okay, well, I'm not supposed to talk about it. It's like, well, okay, you kind of just did. You know, right. res respecting their privacy doesn't mean hinting around it in the most obvious way and then, you know, just sort of saying, oh, well, I've said too much, sorry, I can't say anything. Right, and, and you know, as, as a coach, when, when I hear that, I think, mm, passive aggressive, right? And yeah. part of that is the knowledge piece. Um, you know, and two, there are some people, and uh, I've interviewed a lot of people that and stories that I've heard. For example, some people don't want um, to have a collection taken up for flowers or have meals delivered to them, whereas other people do, and they want that monthly check-in. Yeah. Um, as a manager, just to see how you are, so they feel that comfort that they still are tethered to their work. Uh, so it's just very dependent upon each person. Yeah. Well, so, and what, what you're getting at right now is the subject of this fantastic piece that you did for HBR for the Harvard business review on exactly this is, you know, we, we went from your story and now we're sort of transitioning into this advice for, you know, what do you do if one of your employees comes to you and, you know, shares their diagnosis and has to yes. go out? So I, I'd love yes. for you to talk through that. I mean, that's your sort of, I've been through this, I've learned from it, and now I want to help others. Because this is something, unfortunately, a lot of us as managers 
either have dealt with, are dealing with, or are going to deal with because it's everywhere. It is. And it, it doesn't even have to be cancer. It can be a sick child, right? yeah. a child with cancer. Um, but, you know, there's, I think it's over 1.6 million people are going to be diagnosed this year with cancer. So for me, I, 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 I took a step back and really thought about, well, there isn't much said about, well, what do you do? Because I went through some bumps um, in the road when I was transitioning back working with clients as just even as a consultant. Um, and I wanted to put together something that was easy and practical for people that um, can give people sort of just a broad roadmap of, well, how do I deal from a really empathetic and meaningful way with my employee, but also really, I do have to, I still have to think about the business. Um, and so I really talk about in this article about having a plan B, how are you empathetic? What is it that, and we just talked about it a bit before, Brian, about what is it, how do you communicate and work with somebody and that you focus on their needs? You, you follow what they need in terms of how the communication goes. What do they need? And I think too, it's really having a plan B and being very thoughtful as a manager in terms of, and, and so how it translated to me was, how do I have a set process of what I'm gonna do from a work perspective in the first two weeks coming back to the office, to the next month? What are those things that um, I can do every day from a work perspective? What do I need to delegate to somebody if I'm working in an organization? What can I take on? Can I be on that call? If I can't, I really need to over-communicate with my manager what I can and can't do. And I think, too, I really did learn um, a strong lesson in terms of the balance of empathy and um, also it really is about the business. During that time, I had a company and a client who said, well, we just can't wait for you. We, we need to move on and find another executive coach. And for me, that was really painful at the time. Um, sure. And I was, I was pretty shocked, right? And, but, that's a, but, you know, this person needed to have coaching right then. And I couldn't do it for them. So they had, so they moved on to another, they moved on to another coach, which, you know, that's part of business, right? And that's the part that I talk about the balance of, um, you have to think about the business as well as the person. And I think too, I, I, on the other side of, um, the other side of the piece, I had a company that said, oh, we'll wait eight weeks for you. Just, we want you to coach these individuals, but we'll wait for you. So it's just, it's, it's, it's a balance of thinking about the business and the person and what's right for the business. And that's one of those lessons I, I think that I really learned. Um, while I knew that from an advertising perspective, right, when, you know, you have to lay people off because it's the business, you've lost a client, it's the same sort of thing that you have to think through. Yeah. In that yeah. balance. That's a really good point. Um, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about the plan B and I think where a lot of managers may go to is, oh, so that's my, how do I get through while the person's out? But actually that's, it's not as simple as that. Cause you don't want to like, I hear people talk about, you know, whether it's maternity leave or, or anything else, um, th it's like, well, this is their return to work date. And so then we're fine. It's like, well, if someone's been out for an extended period of time. And they've been through something pretty extreme from a physical standpoint, you know, for good or bad reasons, it doesn't matter, but something extreme, they're not just going to come back or, or actually I should say emotional as well. You know, maybe it's the loss of a parent or a mm -hmm. child or a spouse or, you know, something extreme. Don't expect day one that you can just, you know, wipe your hands clean and, and that's it. Everything goes back to the way it was. You right. should be prepared for 
that path to bringing them back into the fold in, it may not be a hundred percent. It may never be a hundred percent again. So you want to think about how do, how do we accommodate that? And how do we ask, not just while they're out, you know, doing the monthly check-ins if that's what they want, but once they're back, don't just take it for granted that they're back and then, you know, never check in with them again either. You know, you, you, you need to make sure that there's a balance as they work back into the fold and, and you don't press too hard because that can get in the way of the person's recovery. Absolutely. And what you're talking about is, you know, the plan B or developing a work plan. And I heard one story um, that when I was interviewing people that um, was very, I think, meaningful to me that think about the person that comes in and, you know, eight o'clock every morning, but after, you know, this prolonged illness, maybe coming in at 10 a.m. for a while will make them much more of an impactful um, contributor to your group. And that two hours really doesn't matter over the long run. But how, how do you kind of balance those, those needs and getting the business done? Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a very good point. Um, you know, I also think a lot of people have the best of intentions and then the whirlwind of the day job hits. And so, I mean, you see it with time off is, you know, I know you're out, but could you just jump mm-hmm. in on it? It's like, well, look, you know, we talk about your return to work and we talk about how we can accommodate in the hours. Oh, you know, I know we said 10 o'clock, but there's this really important call tomorrow at 730. So I'm going to need you to be here for that. Or right. I know we said, you know, reduced hours, which by the way, we're paying you for those, but I'm going to need you to, you know, this is really important this week. So you, you really are going to need to step it up. And you have to find ways. I mean, I talk about it for the self, like how do you protect your own priorities and energy levels and, right. you know, make sure that this stuff doesn't creep in. But if you have one of your key employees who's just coming back or while they're out on that leave, actually, you need to protect their time even more than your own because the, the costs are too great. Right. Right. And it really is about being empathetic. And it's very hard to put yourself in somebody else's shoes. And I look at it now if I I wouldn't understand, right, that what do you mean my recovery took 12 weeks? For me, that was very internally frustrating. But from a client-facing perspective, I mean, that's kind of, that gives people pause, right? Well, you know, usually the recovery time is six to eight weeks. How come yours took 12? Well, it just did. You know, um, and so there's that, how do you balance that? There was, for me, um, I had the luxury of, it was my consulting business. And so I just didn't take on some business, um, when I didn't start back, but you know, how those extra four weeks, well, how can you help your employee? Because they're just as frustrated that their, their recovery time isn't, isn't working for them either. Yeah. It's as well. They wanted it to be. Yeah. Well, the body is going to do what it wants to do. That's right. That's <laughs> right. Yeah. And being mad at it and rushing it shockingly, is not actually going to help it get any better. No. no um, no. I'm, I'm curious cause you've had, you've been through one of the experiences that I always use in, as an example. We're talking about another that I imagine is probably the same, but maybe I'm wrong. When before my wife and I had our son, you know, and everyone tells us about sleep deprivation and you read about it and, um, you know, what to expect and, and like every blog out there and everything. So it's like, oh, I get that. It's going to be really rough. And then you actually live it. <laughs> and it's, you know, it's, it's just so like there you as smart as you may be, as empathetic as you may be, you couldn't even comprehend what it actually feels like to go through that emotionally and physically. We were just saying the other day about, you know, that moment when you first see your child and I was like, there are parts of my face that I didn't even realize had the ability to move that were like, you know, moving and twitching. And <laughs> I think I had tear ducts in, in like under my skin, not just my eye. Like it was, you know, total facial lack of control. Um, and again, it's, it's something you can't explain. You can never really understand as much as you might think you do until mm-hmm. you're living it. Did you find that to be the same case with with the diagnosis, with the process of the surgery and the recovery and the prolonged recovery and all like, were these all things that you got, you know, you're an intelligent person, you're empathetic, 
but then you lived it and you realize I really didn't understand just how big of a deal this was. You know, from, I think that's such a good point in this perspective of, for me, what I really learned was I was very alone with my body because I was, I had the cancer cells growing. Um, and it's a very kind for me, it was a very alone sort of feeling. I, I mean, I have amazing surgeons. I have amazing, my husband, everybody, such a great support system at the time of my friends, clients, companies, um, all of that. But there's still a piece of feeling alone yeah. because it's, it's your body. And when you, go, when you, right before you go into surgery, into the, um, into the kind of the, you know, you're, you're outside on the gurney, it's a very alone feeling. Um, because it's, it's you, you and yourselves. And I think now even more so, I really understand from a business perspective when for some leaders, when you feel alone, you have to make that decision and only you can make that decision. And there, there is that feeling of not aloneness, but it's you. Yeah. And you have to make it. Or I, I had this um, very senior person that was going through a divorce at the time. And he was, a a after, after all of my recovery, and, you know, he was talking about that feeling of being alone with his emotions. And while I don't, you know, I don't talk about that, that piece of it, I, I'm not a therapist. I, I, I can be empathetic to understand that there is that alone feeling that you have with your, with your illness or whatever it is. Yeah. But you felt it firsthand now and you understand yes. it's, it's bigger than empathy could ever get you to. Right. Right. And I think also, you know, the thing that I've learned too is we all make very different decisions based on what's important for us in our lives. And we have to respect and accept that. Right. There, you know, some people would say to me, wow, you went, uh, you went pretty nuclear there with, um, your, what you decided you wanted to do. Why didn't you just do a lumpectomy? You could have done that. And I absolutely could have. Um, but for me, that's, that was the, I made a different choice. Yeah. And so, you know, we all make choices about our careers, how we deal with somebody, um, giving them feedback. We all have those choices. And sometimes we have to, we have to make those tough decisions and making a decision is better than no decision. Yeah, that's very true. And be before we go, We've been outwardly focused from an advice standpoint for the manager who, you know, who mm -hmm. has an employee going through this, which is, you know, that's the focus of your article. I wonder if you could take us back to the person who's going through it. And I'm, I'm so, uh, this, this notion of being alone with yourself at the end of the day, mm -hmm. um, despite all the support in the world and it, just how dark that can be and scary and, um, mm -hmm. There's so much riding on your shoulders ultimately, because it is, it is all your decision, whether it's a business decision or a medical decision, life or death or otherwise, you know, or any of these, you know, do I stay or do I go? Do I leave my spouse? Do I, you know, whatever. Um, what sort of advice do you have for people? Because you did get through it and you are a strong and inspiring person. How, what was it that you think was part of what got you through? Um, that's a really good question. I think what got me through was the focus for me on doing something, just doing something. And that meant either going to the gym, it meant meditating. Um, when I was recovering, it meant I went out to lunch. I, I couldn't drive for three months. A friend would come pick me up and we would go have lunch at our house. I'd sit on the sofa and just relax. Um, 
something I, I also did in my recovery, this is very vivid to me, is I would lay in the sunroom with the air conditioning cranked. It was like a meat locker. I don't know. I, I, I couldn't deal with any kind of heat. And I got a stack of books that I had been wanting to read. I can remember reading one of Gretchen Rubin's books, I think, or, mm. um, and just for me, it was really, and what I'm kind of talking about is what's important to you to give you some sort of, um, almost do a day for me, it was just doing something. It didn't matter what it was. I so did not needed... plant this. I just, no, <laughs> just you didn't. We have no <laughs> agreement for you to plug the book or anything. But no. I, I am getting that. It's, um, I mean, there's so much in, in who you seem to be that's not a stagnant person. You don't just roll over. You take action. You push ahead. And so even if it's just in the moment with all the constraints and the pain and the discomfort and recovery, you still, you didn't just lay there and give in. You still chose to push through even in the smallest of ways. And obviously those things build till you're back on the right side of it all. Right. But I, I want to be also really clear, Brian, that there were days when, you know, I, I, I was about woe is me a bit, right? I mean, it, it was not, it, it cannot be perfect. Um, you know, oh my gosh, when is this pain going to stop from these surgeries? Or why is it me? Right. I was in the best physical shape I could possibly have been in ever in my life. Why me? You know, so it was, yeah, it was very important for me to um, do something every day. But I also, you know, we're all human and yeah. um, it's scary. And so there were times that it's, it's not, it was not a perfect every day I was doing something. Did you judge yourself in those moments or did you recognize like, this is okay, I'm a, I'm a human being. This is what I'm feeling. Uh, some days I judged myself pretty harshly about it. Like, come yeah. on, buck up. Everybody says, you know, th that a really hard experience in life will give you many gifts, which it is true that it does. But at some point you don't believe it. Yeah. So it's kind of that balance of trying not to judge yourself and being a bit more compassionate. Mm hmm. But it doesn't work all the time. Or at no. least not for me. <laughs> but just yeah, but just remembering that's okay. And as long as it works on the whole, then you keep moving forward and you get yourself back. But yeah, don't, you know, beating yourself up for being down uh on the reality. It's just like we said before, like um, you know, the those moments where uh you know, whether it's like the annual anniversary and when you're going for that appointment or these general moments where like you were saying with that trainer. Where, you know, mm -hmm. it's like, do I have hamstring cancer? Um, you know, you can beat yourself up for that or you can be like, yeah, and I understand why I felt that way. Right. Right. And it's okay to be scared. There were points when I was very scared. Yeah. It's called being human. Right. Yeah. Right. And I, I can't, uh, I can't imagine... <sighs> Hear, hearing your story and some of the things that you talked about, I, I just, that's not stuff that ever occurred to me that that sense of being alone, um, that sense of what, you know, your relationship to your body and the whole trust equation with that. Um, so I just, I, I want to respect and thank how honest you were about that and sharing what you went through with it. Cause I think whether it's something you yourself are going through or you have an employee who's going through it or a loved one or a friend or just, you know, that person walking down the, the block towards you, um, having that bit of understanding and empathy and remembering like, we're all going through something. Right. And it's we can pass judgment, whether it's on someone else or ourselves, or we can just recognize this is human and we need to have a lot more compassion and understanding and allow people to have their moment and be supportive in the way that they're comfortable with. Absolutely. And I think, Brian, that is one of the most important things that you bring up is that you have to follow the person's response and guide your guide your staff, guide just even how, you know, you talked about your um the person who didn't want to hear any stories Yeah, where we all want to tell stories and it's trying to help them. 
but in some cases it's 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 not so yeah. you're absolutely right yeah well well thank you so much for sharing all this with us and um you know uh, before we go I, I just want to give you a chance you plug my book a gazillion times where can oh, no. you plug yourself like where where can people <laughs> Where can people find Ann Sugar? Where can they learn about your services and read some of these amazing articles that you've written to help managers, to help leaders become better and be better servant leaders, be better employers? And, you know, that difference between manager and leader is so crucial. So where can people find Absolutely. out more about all this work? So you can, so everybody can reach me at uh, annsugar.com. So it's A-N-N-E, sugar, just like sugar.com. I also, um, What's very important to me is on my LinkedIn, I um, I put out a lot of articles every day um, with some thoughts for people to think about and read. So um, check out there too, and you can follow me there and see all the articles um, and ideas that I recommend as well. Yeah, you do put out really fantastic stuff that's worth the, you know, three seconds to see the headline, but click through. There's some really good activity there. So, um, and we can put the links to all that for people to follow you on LinkedIn to, of course, get to your website. Um, but I can't thank you enough. I'm so glad to finally, you know, swirling around yeah. each other that we finally I know. got to connect. This is great. I really appreciate that. Oh, and Brian, it's been fantastic um, speaking to you as well. Everybody is very lucky to um, to have your podcast and all the great questions that you ask. It's amazing and brilliant. Thank you, Anne. So thank you. And uh, I feel like you, you've you've done a better job marketing my book than I have. <laughs> but um, no. you, know, you keep you keep talking about that notion that you know it's it's how I always close. But today is a new day, right? And you got to go out and do it. That's right. Thank you so much, Anne. Oh, uh, thank you, Brian. What what a discussion! Anne is so inspiring for me. You know this whole notion. Uh, this is why I had to pull it out in the clip in the intro, this notion of being alone with your body that, you know, it's, it's doesn't matter. It doesn't matter what kind of support you have around you. It's you against you. And it's ultimately down to you, your decisions, your actions for you. And of course you have advisors, you have people you can lean on, you have people around you supporting you. But at the end of the day, it's still you with your body. And, you know, making that leap into the leader role and the analog there, it's interesting. You know, I, I don't know that it's one a lot of people think of, but it can be very lonely. And it may seem like, you know, well, that's ridiculous. You're talking about leadership and, and this is about cancer. What does one have to do with the other? But she's lived through it to know that, yeah, there is something very lonely about it. And others around you may not understand it. Or they may try to support you, but they don't necessarily know how. And it ultimately all falls to you. And I think that there's a lot of value in recognizing that, working through that, and seeing what you can do to overcome that. Because that may be one of the silent things holding you back in your life is the sense of you against you, the sense of loneliness. It's, a, it's amazing stuff. It's really powerful. I'm so thankful to have had Anne on and to have her share her story. I hope you all got something out of that conversation. Please do check out annsugar.com. See everything she's got going on. She really does put out great content, and, um, and she's an amazing person. Really just good, deep down person. I'm so glad that I get to know her. Um, so with that, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll close things up. I, as always, would love it if you would leave a rating on iTunes or Stitcher or wherever you choose to listen to this show. That helps tremendously. And even if it's not positive, I want to know the feedback. I want to know what you guys think. I want to know, you know, is this helping? Is it not? Are there guests you'd like to have on? Um, if you know someone who would make a great guest, refer them in. You know, let, let me know who it is and make the connection. I'd love to hear from my listeners who you all want to hear on the show. But leave that review. Um, subscribe if you haven't already. And spread the word. My whole goal is to help as many people change their lives through their own actions, through their own mindset, their own intentions. And the best way to do that is to spread the message. So any help in that regard is always hugely, hugely appreciated. Remember, check out doadaybook.com. Check out annsugar.com. 
check out brianfalchuk.com. Lots of great ways to keep getting more content like this. And I'm so thankful for all you listening. Have a great day and keep on doing it.